No peace, no pita. Minister of Defense Ben Veer shuts down pita bread production in Israeli prisons, and thousands of Palestinians instantly reconsider terrorism. Well, kinda. Baby not on board. A couple leave their infant behind as they attempt to catch a flight out of Ben Gurion Airport. And finding the right one is hard, but it doesn't have to be. Dating coach Rachel Duchman is here, live in the Weekly Squeeze studio for a terrific conversation about approaching Shidduchim with positivity. This is the Weekly Squeeze. I'm your talented and humble host, Hanala Music, coming at you from the land of Israel, where it has been raining for two days straight. As a matter of fact, it's been raining in my living room. I kid you not. And it's all the pigeons' fault, because the pigeons have been uh, partying on my roof for the last six months when it was all nice and dry. And now the accumulation of the waste and the nests and the eggshells and, you know, all the uh, paraphernalia that pigeons produce over the course of their lifetime has accumulated and blocked the drain. So there is a swimming pool upstairs. The pigeons are having a royal time frolicking around while it's raining in my household. Um, on top of that, there was actually so much wind. It, the, the weather was so intense the last 48 hours that the most beautiful tree in my parking lot in Archania has collapsed. And I'm very disappointed because it was a magnificent tree and I regret not having taken more photographs of it. I remember thinking, this is such a beautiful tree. I should share it on social media. And then I was like, who cares about this tree? But as it turns out, um, it was a very unique tree. And now it's gone, which prompted me to do a quick Google search where I discovered that the African tulip tree, which is also known as the flame of the forest tree, is actually very problematic in Hawaii. It has a reputation for being invasive and damaging to Hawaiian ecosystems. Now, I spent six months in Hawaii, so that is concerning to me, considering that I have roots there. (laughs) Pardon the pun. (laughs) Um, But they are a problematic tree. Um... They affect native forests where 650 trees have recently been removed. This is in Maui off the, if you want to know specifics, on the north shore of Molokai. And that just goes to show that we Israelis are, in fact, sympathetic. We had a tree literally commit suicide in solidarity with its brothers in Hawaii. So don't tell me that we're not compassionate. I will say it's a pity that I did not see this coming because the leaves of the tree are actually used in West African countries um, as treatment for epilepsy, kidney disease, um, an antidote against animal poisons, eczema, fungal skin disease, herpes, stomachache, and diarrhea. So maybe I should hop around, run downstairs, and just grab a couple of leaves and eat them. (laughs) I'm going to put a picture in my show notes, A, so you go down to my show notes, and B, so you can see how stunning this tree is. Also, if you want to hear more about herbs, the ones you can eat and should eat, please don't take any advice from me, but rather go to episode 59 where I had Sarahana Silverstein, a master herbalist, uh, share all the plants that you could in fact eat that can help you. Um, Okay. What is going on in the land of Israel? Well, there is officially no more pita bread for prisoners. Some people call it trolling. I call it controlling. (laughs) Because why? Would you commit terrorism if you knew, in fact, that you would not be getting fresh bread in prison? Now, let me tell you something. If you've ever been to the Middle East and smelt, inhaled the essence of fresh pita bread coming out of the oven, I mean, it just, it could bring you back to life. It is, it heals all ailments. It is a balm for the soul. There is nothing quite delicious as a fresh 
pizza bread. I don't know why it is. It's basically flour and water. But the, the soul of the land is infused in this little pocket of steam. And the idea that the Palestinians are getting fresh bread in jail, terrorists who kill Jews, and my kids are eating frozen pizza bread from the freezer. Because I, I freeze all bread. I grew up in Florida. I'm not sure if that's actually a Floridian thing or just a phallic thing. But our bread was kept in the freezer. And that's what I do. And my kids always complain about it. Why, why is the bread frozen? I want a sandwich. Well, if I froze it fresh so that you can take it out and let it defrost and then it'll be fresh again <laughs> in time. But uh, the Israeli prisoners, murderers of Jews, terrorists are having a sababa time uh, eating falafel and hummus and pita in the prisons. And that is just a little bit too comfortable. Um, I will share, though, that this was done to save a little bit of shekel because apparently it cost 1.5 million shekel more to bring in shelf bread, white sliced preservative full bread from the grocery stores. So uh, this is not a financial decision. This is literally just a decision that will remind Palestinians that if you commit terrorism, no pita bread for you. That's not an incentive. I don't know what it is. We are going to fight terrorism with terrorism. That's right. Speaking of terrorism, the fourth victim of the horrific terrorist attack in Eilat back in May, where uh, two terrorists went on a stabbing spree with an axe and a knife, um, he passed away, succumbed to his wounds last night. Shimon Ma'atov, Shimon Ma'atov was 75 years old. He leaves behind his wife, six children, and 13 grandchildren. He was seriously injured in the attack. Um when a terrorist uh, came at him with an axe. Over the last few months, his condition has deteriorated, and this morning he passed away. Um, he was actually the security guard at the entrance of the park where these attacks occurred. When he heard the screams, he left his post. The terrorist spotted him, and they began to attack him viciously with the axe, causing him severe head injuries. So, yes, the impact and the effect of terrorism um, continues to play out in real time here in the land of Israel, and our hands are full, unfortunately. But the good news is that Ben Gvir's reforms will enable 7,000 licenses to be issued every single month as more and more Israelis get their gun licenses. Now, Israel has some of the strictest gun laws in the world. Every single gun in this country is uh, tightly controlled and carefully tracked by the state. There is a very detailed list of criteria to be allowed to own a firearm. You have to ask the state for a license. You can only have one gun at a time. You have to ask permission to sell your gun. And about 40% of requests until now have been rejected. You have to meet the minimum age requirement. You have to be in good health, sound mind, have no criminal record. So, yeah, clearly Israel is very strict. Obviously, um, the military have guns and the police have guns. But um, your average Israeli citizen does not pack heat. Now, Alan Dershowitz just did an episode on his podcast where he talked about gun safety and how if he could go back in time, he would vote against the Second Amendment. He does not think that your average citizen needs guns. But in America, the founding fathers wanted the American citizens to feel that they were safe from the government. But here in Israel, Israelis are not armed against the state, but by the state, because we are one unit here. Uh, trying to defend ourselves from external threats like like terrorist attacks. Um, we also don't have uh, mass shootings by Israeli citizens, obviously that, that are not terrorism, partially because Jews are not mass murderers and because we don't have so many uh, guns lying around. Um, but that's about to change. 
That is about to change. More Israelis are applying for gun licenses. More Israelis will be approved for gun licenses. 17,000 applications for a firearm license were submitted over the last year. Um, and five to 8,000 licenses will be processed per month in the coming months. Will I get a gun? You know, I actually went to a shooting range with my husband last year, and we had such a great experience. It turns out I have a great shot. I was given one of those big army guns, and uh, this machine shot out a disc into the air, and I, I hit every target. My husband was flabbergasted. He was amazed how precise, how absolutely perfect my aim was. And, and then he decided that I should not have a gun. <laughs> I think he's cured for his life. So unless anything changes, I will rely on my friendly neighbors to protect me. Uh, One of my friends, actually, that inspired me to make Aliyah, she packs heat. She walks around completely armed every single day of the week with a gun neatly tucked into her jean skirt pocket. And it was a process. And, And she went through it because she believes that you have to be armed here to keep your kids safe. And when my kids went to the Mordechai Shapiro concert... Um, she was doing security. My lawyer friend from Miami Beach, Florida was doing security at the park with a machine gun and I could not have been more impressed or prouder. Now, as far as Shalom Bias goes, Rachel's married to a very sweet, gentle guy, so I'm not too worried about him. But it reminds me of a joke. Uh, a guy with a gun goes into a bank and demands money. Uh, once he's given the money, He turns to a customer and says, did you see me rob this bank? And the guy says, yeah, I did. So the robber shoots him in the head, killing him instantly. He then turns to a couple standing next to him and asks the man, did you see me rob the bank? And the man says, no, 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 I didn't. But but my wife did. (laughs) All right, let's move on. I did not mean to trigger you with my gun jokes. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Speaking of dysfunctional families, this is the most insane story I have heard in a very long time. And that's saying something because I literally scour the internet for insane stories for a living. Like I do this twice a week. But this takes the cake. Parents traveling from Ben-Gurion Airport in Israel were questioned by police after deserting their child in a rush to board an international flight. So this couple comes to Tel Aviv, Ben-Gurion Airport, with their baby snug as a bug in a rug in his car seat. And they put the baby down at the check-in, you know, on that scale thing where they weigh your suitcases. And they proceed to have a dispute with the agent who insists that they buy a ticket for the baby on the flight. I'm not sure how this unfolded exactly, but the couple then raced off to security, leaving the baby behind in that baby carrier, in in the car seat at check-in, okay? Luckily, the airport staff were able to catch them in time, and we do not have a baby here with no parents Thankfully, we do, however, have parents here with no baby because clearly they are not uh, in in the position to be raising a child if they feel that the cost of an airplane ticket is too much and therefore we should just leave the baby with the Israelis. I mean, don't get me wrong, Ben-Gurion has all kinds of crazy situations. I mean, last year, if you remember, an American tried to bring an unexploded shell in his suitcase and that triggered an evacuation. But I got to say... Leaving your baby in the airport, well, that's just uh, that's just not going to fly. <laughs> Again, pardon the pun. 
honestly, I cannot understand what went through the minds of these parents. I, I would love to have them on the podcast. And I, I'm just curious, how did this unfold? Did you guys decide this like spontaneously? Was it just like a quick eye contact and you knew? Did you discuss it on the way to the airport? Like if the ticket costs $100, we'll take our baby. But if the ticket costs $200, we're going to leave our baby. I mean, Israelis are great. They, they give pizza to prisoners in prison. And Ben-Gurion Airport is one of the safest airports in the world. Uh, I'm not saying they provide babysitting service for incompetent parents, but let's give them benefit of the doubt. Maybe they really felt that if they're going to leave their baby behind in an airport, Israel is the best place to do it. Which is ironic, because every single flight coming in and out of Ben-Gurion Airport is literally packed with babies. Like, you could, you could have just given your baby to someone else, and they would have been like, all right, well, we're anyway taking three babies on the flight. We'll take yours, too. But leaving your baby behind, I mean, that's just really bad parenting. It takes bad parenting to, to, to a new height. Pardon the pun. Because they were flying in there. All right, let's move on. All right, I don't know if you noticed by now, but usually we have an ad read about 10 minutes into the episode. Um, this week we will not be having an ad read because I want to take a moment to express to you how important it is to me and to the longevity of this show and to the success of the Weekly Squeeze that you guys check out my show note links. And every single week I'm going to put something interesting in there. Last week I put The Simpsons. This week I'm going to put a picture of the orange tree that fell in my uh, Hanaya. And hopefully you'll grow into the habit of always hitting the Weekly Squeeze show note links where my sponsors share their websites their information, their contacts, so that way we can continue to support the sponsors that make this podcast possible. And yeah, while you're down there, just go ahead, leave me a five-star rating. Uh, let me know what you think about the show. I had a couple of Palestinian trolls uh, bring my ratings uh, a little bit down by giving me one star, Yamach Shemam. So if you want to help balance that out, just take a second, give me a five-star rating, leave a comment. If you're listening on Spotify, hit the five stars, make sure you're subscribed, make sure that you are receiving my podcast every single week. We have so many great episodes. I hope you didn't miss the episode with Walter Bingham. Fascinating, fascinating conversation with him. The guy is just such an inspiration. I've had so many incredible, uh, wonderful guests, so many incredible, wonderful guests coming up. So take a minute and support the show if you, in fact, are enjoying the show and yeah drop it into a whatsapp uh, chat that would just make my day a and join our whatsapp chat we have a whatsapp chat that's very active everybody talks about their opinions and that is always fun also if you need a little more channel in your life i actually did an episode with the deep meaningful conversation podcast the dmc podcast with rifki and alex and i'm going to put a link to that so you can check it out it's currently the number four most downloaded podcast in america so if a couple more of you go ahead and smash that link, I might be, thanks to the DMC podcast, the number one guest in America, Jewish podcast guest. And that's an accomplishment. I've never had that happen to me. So help me out, would you? All right, let's move on. Speaking of first, the first ever Jewish second gentleman of the United States, that would be Douglas Craig Emmeth, married to uh, Kamala Harris, well, he made the news this week when he joined Miss Devorah Lipstadt on a trip to Poland and Germany um, with a special U.S. convoy to monitor and combat anti-Semitism. They went to Krakow, Poland, Auschwitz, the Birkenau Memorial and Museum, and his ancestral Jewish village in Gorlice, Poland. He's Polish like my grandmother was. We're practically family. The purpose of the trip was to gather information for the National Action Plan Against Anti-Semitism, which MF is working on with Ms. Lipstadt. Well, that begs the question, 
Why don't you start at home? Why is it that Rashida Talib is tweeting out pictures of herself with the Palestinian flag it, it, from, from her office in Congress? I mean, it's absolutely shocking. It really is. Shock. When I saw the picture, my mouth absolutely dropped. There she is supporting Palestinians from Washington with a massive Palestinian war flag behind her and nobody bats an eyelash. I mean, think about it. Could you imagine if a Jewish congressman or senator or governor would tweet out a picture with a massive Israeli flag. Do you understand the chaos that would ensue, the backlash that that would produce? And Israel is an ally of America. And at this point, you literally cannot wave an Israeli flag in public in America without somebody having a meltdown. And Rashida Talib is busy posting pictures of the Palestinian flag on Twitter. And, and I just, I mean, seriously, like start cleaning up your mess at home. Miss Kamala Harris. I think it's lovely that he went to Europe, and I think it's terrific if something positive comes out of it. Um, you know, he, I read about the trip, and it was very emotional, and it was very intense, and he met Holocaust survivors, and he heard their stories, and I'm sure he'll go back inspired and hopefully bring that um, experience with him to his wife, despite having the vocabulary of a, a 12-year-old, is the vice president of the United States of America, and, and maybe it'll make a dent in, in some of the uh, ridiculous policies coming out of Washington that support Palestinian terrorism over, you know, Israeli self-defense. So um, in my opinion, while this is a nice gesture, until I see Ilan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, and their whole posse um, disciplined, for their continued support and alliances with Palestinian jihadism. Um, it rings a little hollow, honestly. It rings a little hollow. In related news, the Coalition for Jewish Values, which represents over 2,000 traditional and Orthodox rabbis in the U.S., they sent a letter to House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries calling for the removal of Representative Elon Omer from the House Foreign Affairs Committee. How she's on the committee, absolutely mind-boggling. Uh, <laughs> the woman is an anti-Semite. I don't care how she tries to package it. She was on the news recently saying that she didn't know that saying that it's all about the Benjamins was uh, anti-Semitic. She didn't know that she was being anti-Semitic. Give me a break. You don't make it all the way to Congress without knowing the difference between what's anti-Semitic and what's not. I don't believe her for one second. And clearly I'm not alone because now we have rabbis from all around the country who want her fired. They say that because of her, there has been more anti-Semitism um, there has been more violence against visibly Orthodox Jews and that she needs to be removed from the Foreign Affairs Committee. And if the Congress opposes racism, bigotry and anti-Semitism, they should put their money where their mouth is because Elon Omer is an anti-Semite. And in case you forgot, I'll just quickly run through all the anti-Semitic things she has said and tweeted. On November 16, 2012, two days after Israel replied, uh, responded to Hamas's indiscriminate missiles, she tweeted Quote, Israel has hypnotized the world. May Allah awaken the people and help them see the evil doings of Israel. Hashtag Gaza. Hashtag Palestine. Uh, yeah, so she's she's not an anti-Semite. She's just a compassionate sweetheart. Um, and then in February of 2019, she, she tweeted again that American politicians' support for Israel is all about the Benjamins that were basically, um, you know, just motivated by money, which is just an age-old and dangerous trope about Jews uh, nefariously using money to control politicians and governments. Uh, let me remind you that Rashida Talib tweeted out a picture of herself standing in front of a massive Palestinian flag this week, but that has nothing to do with uh, money. No, that, that can't be. I can assure you that Rashida Talib is getting money from people she shouldn't be. But that's another conversation. Back to Miss Omar. David Duke, 
the KKK grand wizard, a notorious white supremacist, he posted open support for her and quote uh, and said, quote, Elon Omar is now capital N-O-W, the most important member of the U.S. Congress. Well, if that's not saying something, I don't know what is. Um, ultimately, she has a long history of tweeting out and making statements that are anti-Semitic. She has called for sanctions of Israel, the only Jewish state uh, in the world and the only democracy in the Middle East, while at the same time opposing sanctions in other oppressive regimes like Venezuela and Iran. So clearly this is completely her being impartial and she should have never been put on the Foreign Affairs Committee to begin with. Uh, It's just absurd. It's absolutely absurd. Uh, what they're getting away with. But hopefully there'll be some change now. And what should I say? Keep fighting. Keep pushing back at this kind of rhetoric, at this kind of unacceptable behavior coming out of Washington. We are the Jewish people. We are a light in America. We are a bastion of goodness and kindness. And we have nothing to be embarrassed or ashamed about. And there's absolutely no reason why these degenerate, hateful uh, anti-Semitic, hijab-wearing women are getting microphones and their voices magnified a- across a- America for the anti-Semites to revel in. This is absolutely unacceptable. And Elon Omar, if you're listening, I have a message for you. Nana, 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 hey, 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 goodbye. By the way, I have no specific issue with the hijab per se, unless you are a Jew hater wearing a hijab. That's right. When someone tells you who they are, you should believe them. Which brings me to my next story about a Russian bear who lost his mind during a circus performance in Russia. So the bear is pushing a a wheelbarrow. The audience um, is sitting around, circus-style tent. There's no gate or boundary between this 660-pound bear. And then the bear goes nuts, and he, he just attacks the trainer. The other trainer starts kicking him aggressively, and the people in the audience start screaming and run for the door. Luckily, nobody was actually hurt besides the bear who was stunned with electric prodders. But what what a horrible story. I mean, I am not a big fan of bears uh, at circuses or circuses at all or bears alone without the circuses. I don't like circuses. I don't like bears. I don't like bears and circuses. And I certainly don't support this kind of animal abuse. Um, And it did spark a massive conversation online. You could only imagine I mean, people were more angry about the abuse of this bear than the terrorism that took the lives of uh, seven Israelis this week. But yeah, that's just life. In any case, let's just wrap this up with a beautiful, inspiring story about the Shpala Zayda. The Shpala Zayda was a uh, Hasidic Rebbe, and his claim to fame, or his special mitzvah, was that he traveled around to villages to help redeem captives, Pidyon, Pidyon Shivun. Uh, Jews who had been thrown into jail for, let's say, falling behind on their rent or whatever reasons. So he comes to a town. There's a woman who's terribly distraught. Her husband had leased property from a local nobleman. He fell behind on his payments, and he was thrown into the nobleman's dungeon. On top of it, this particular nobleman had a crazy custom that every year on his birthday, he would invite all his drunken Russian friends for a big party. And the main part of the entertainment, the main feature of the party would be that he would uh, order up whoever was in prison and they would have to put on a heavy bearskin costume and enter a dance competition with this Kazakh who happened to have been a trained Russian dancer. Now, if you ever watch Fiddler on the Roof, you know exactly how the Kazakhs dance. It is not an easy dance, especially not with a bear costume when you haven't, you know, when you've been in a dungeon and, and you're starving. So the woman is hyperventilating that her husband's going to lose his life because there's no way he's going to be able to compete with this Kazakh. And somehow... The Shvala Zayda finds a way to switch places with this Jew. 
and he takes his place. Maybe he bribed a guard. In any case, he ends up in the jail, and he's the one brought up to dance to, to this dance off with this uh, with this Kazakh. So he puts on the bear costume, and lo and behold, he begins to win this competition. He turns out to be a better dancer than this Kazakh. Maybe he had drunk too much, but whatever the case was, the Shpalazeda completely creams the birthday boy. Everybody slowly uh, recognizes that the Kazakh is going to lose this dance-off, and uh, he ended up pleading for his life, and the Shpalazeda pardoned him, um, provided he pay up this man's debts. And the song that was playing, the melody that was playing for this bear dance, well, that was Hup Kazakh. Hup Kazakh, Chitty Bitty Bitty Bum which has since been transformed into a Hasidic melody. What a beautiful story. Obviously, the basic message of the story is the Shpalazeda's tremendous mysterious nefesh, the, the sacrifice he had for a fellow Jew. He put his life on the line. I mean, he, he the, the chances of him winning such a, a dance-off were slim, but somehow, with the help of Hashem, he managed to pull it off. Another lesson that we learned from this, though, is that we all wear bear costumes. I mean, think about it. Life weighs us down. It limits us. It inhibits us. We all have things that feel cumbersome and that are stopping us from succeeding and from winning in our life. But let's be like the Shpalazeda. Don't don't let it uh, hold you back. Dance. Dance. Crank up the music. Outdance the Kozak. Outdance the anti-Semites. Outdance Elon Omer. Outdance uh, Rashida Talib. That's what we do. We're Jews. We live with simcha. We don't let a bear costume keep us down and hold us back. We, we, we incorporate the chayas and the joy and the warmth and the varmkeit and the vitality from Yiddishkeit. And we dance through our despair and we dance through the weight of our problems. And this is the only way that we, and the most joyful way, that we will defeat our enemies. Okay, it is time to get to my interview with Rachel Duchman, or my conversation, I should say. Rachel Duchman is a dating and shaduchim coach. And, you know, everyone can use a coach, no matter what you're going through, but dating is a very overwhelming process for so many people. So she has um, an amazing process that helps you rethink the way you are approaching shaduchim. Um, she offers a complimentary introductory s- session. I absolutely love talking to her. I know all her girls, Kananahara. She has married off all her children, and now she is completely dedicated to helping our young girls and boys find the greatness within them so that they are ready to go out there and have a positive experience while dating. Um, Rachel is a Lubavitcher, so obviously a lot of the things that she discusses are based on Hasidic concepts. Also, her father was a legend in Lubavitch, Rabbi J.J. Hecht. He was um, an assistant and translator of the Lubavitch Rebbe, an educator, a writer, a radio commenter, and of course, the founder of Camp Amuna, a camp that I went to for many, many years where I met all of Rachel's lovely daughters. And it was just such a wonderful opportunity to finally meet Rachel herself and have a conversation with her. It felt like I was talking to family, and I think you will feel that too. So without further ado, Mrs. Rachel Duchman. Hannah Rachel Duchman, welcome to the Weekly Squeeze. Thank you for being here. How is it to be in Eretz First of all, thank you so much for having me. This was like uh, a matter of pure hashkacha practice because we had a date to do this over Zoom. And in the end, I'm in Israel, and I'm so happy that I get to do this face-to-face. I'm loving it, and I'm happy to it, be back in Israel. It feels like a shidduch date. <laughs> <laughs> so there's so much to learn from just this uh, meeting one-on-one. I, I do know you, and I know your family, and I know your 
girls. I've known them my whole life since I went to Camp Una. And I was pleased to hear that you are doing Shidduchim and that you have a life uh, coaching career where you help young people, young men and women, and families and parents navigate the world of dating. Um, I was married at 24. So I can tell you that I suffered deeply from, you know, in, in my struggle to find the one, but I did have a very unusual experience when I was dating, which we could get into, and perhaps that can help people listening um, understand maybe some of my opinions on why people should think out of the box when it comes to dating. <laughs> that sounds interesting. Yes, yes. I'm sure when I bring up the details, you'll remember. Um, but first, tell me a little bit about what you do and what and why you do it. Okay, excellent question. So honestly, the reason why I got involved in this is I, as you said, you know my girls, I have Baruch Hashem, six daughters. And um, after my youngest daughter became a Kala, I had this huge Hakara Satov to the Abishta because every single one of my girls was either the first or the second boy that they dated that they got engaged to. And I felt like I wanted to give back. I felt like, you know what? Thank you so much, God. And now it's my chance. I want to help others. At about the same time, there was starting the buzz of everybody just complaining and saying negative things about dating. And there's another word, what they call it. I don't even like to use that word, the C word, you know, shidduch crises. And all I was hearing was negative, negative, negative. And I'm like, wait a minute, let's turn this around. I want to bring something positive to the table. You know, like if you see there's something and you care about it and you're passionate about it, so do something about it. Mm-hmm. And, and so I said, I'm going to help others with Shadduchim. And during my daughter's engagement, even before she got married, in the busiest time of preparing a wedding, I managed to make a Shadduch. And it happened like, and I thought, wow, piece of cake. I'm just going to keep making Shadduchim. This is adorable. It's <laughs> so much fun. The first one always exciting. You're like, I, ha- I have a chush. <laughs> yes, this is it. And of course, I learned quickly, it's not so simple. And then I realized I was at the same, just around the same time doing my coaching for life coaching. And during the coaching sessions, um, girls would say things like, what's your niche? So I said, you know what? I'm going to do it in dating and helping in Shaduchim. And so I focused on that and I wrote a whole, career, I wrote a whole um, course, which I give a three-part series. I wrote separate for girls, separate for parents, and separate even for Bachram, for boys. And I started doing that, and I had incredible feedback. And um, from there, I did the one, I started, got then on to the one-on-one coaching. And I just become alive when I work with the young men and young women. Um, I often call them girls and boys. Some people say, you know, they're young men and women, but I sometimes call, yeah, I call myself girl too. So it's, you know, within that same spirit, so to say. And I just love I'm so passionate about it. I love when I can help them see clearly. You know, the whole idea of coaching is where are you right now and where is it that you'd like to be? Okay. And let's see what's getting in your way. What's getting in your way of reaching your goal? Of course, with girls and young men and young women for dating, it's about I want to be engaged. Mm -hmm. I want to get married. So... I always tell the first thing, one of the first things I say, say that, and then I say, you're in the driver's seat. What is it that you want? I'm here to help you get what you want. And I'm going to be like that private trainer. If you decided you wanted to run a marathon, I'm going to be that. Personal trainer, yeah. Exactly. 
and I'm going to cheer for you. And I know you're whole, you're complete, and you could do anything you set your mind to. So let's see what's going on here. Right. And I found that, you know, they definitely take the driver's seat. We talk about what it is that they want rather than their mother or their shatrin or whoever else is involved or their grandmother or who knows what. And what I help them see is sometimes they lead the way. And if they sometimes, you know, like your navigating system, if they go the wrong way, we just get them easily Alter back the on. course. Exactly. Right. Well, it, recalculate. It sounds, recalculate. It sounds great. And I know that people are seeking out advice in all areas of their life, you know, before and after marriage. And I support that. And I think it's fantastic. And I'm glad that we're at that place. But let's go back to what you said about not using the C word. I have classmates that never got married. And I know that there are guys that I dated that never ended up getting married. The guys that were older singles 10 years ago and 15 years ago are still older singles. So there's there's cer- certainly something transpired that left a, a large group of Jewish girls and boys or Jewish men and women single. What happened to those singles? And what, did they miss the boat? Is there something that, because ultimately you're saying that it's a mindset. So did they just unfortunately not have someone to tell them where their head should be at or where their heart should be at when they're dating? It's a very, very, very good question you're asking. It's a hard question. And it's a difficult question. And I really, no matter what I'm going to say, it's not going to really be the answer. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I strongly say, of course, we have to do our due diligence. But along with that comes incredible amuna and bitachon that we have to have when on the whole dating scene. Okay. So to flip it onto the positive side, I don't know what happened, but I'm very impressed with what's going on now. If you see something, say something. If you have the name of a person and you know of a young girl, you don't have to worry yourself to the end of the degree, like, let me check both of them out perfectly. Let me make sure they're the right ones. Just say something. You never know. Day after day, I come up to, like, Hashgacha Pratis, I met somebody, and suddenly they start to talk to me about somebody else, and we say, hey, let's try Sometimes it works out perfectly. Sometimes it doesn't. You want to know why those? Did they not look at it the right way? Were they stressing the wrong thing? Fault? Whose fault is it? Is it, it someone's it, it, fault? I absolutely not. That to me sounds ridiculous because God runs the world. One of the very very powerful things that I also give over is the Rebbe always says, "Look for the first and foremost." Look for the good in the other person. Everyone's trying to find, well, what's wrong with him? And what's not thing or her? Or, you know, tell me, no, go out with the mindset. I'm going to see what is good about this young man or this young woman. What's right about them? What do I, you know, after a date, when I talk sometimes, I'm not always involved in the dating exactly, but um, sometimes I get to be the chatron and the coach. And when I ask them, and then how did it go? Or when they call me to, because they're feeling like they're not sure what's going on and they want to be, you know, they want to be coached. And I'm like, tell me, what did you like about him? You know, that's what I want to hear first. It opens up their minds because everybody knows, and even the Rebbe says this, there's no such a thing as a perfect person. We all have our amazing, beautiful, wonderful um, qualities, qualities, and we all have our chasrainness. We all have our weaknesses. We all have something that, you know, not so perfect. But if we're going to look first at the not so perfect, we're going to get very hard to come to the perfect. So the Rebbe gives us the most amazing advice, and I see it working over and over and over again. First, look for the good in the other person. Look for his amazing, wonderful qualities. And I say to them in the dating times, 
is you don't get to talk anything negative about yourself till way later. And I don't know if this is a good time for me to say, I don't count the dates. I don't say on your first date, on your second date, on your third date. Rather, I approach the entire dating thing as stages of dating. Mm -hmm. And we divide it up into three different stages, So, which we can talk about soon. Stage one and two, you're not allowed to say anything negative. Only you get to boast, to brag about yourself, to say the good, to Put look for the good. your best foot forward. Exactly. Once you create something going on there, some chemistry, some, you know, connection, um, connection then we'll share before you end up getting engaged. You must share some of those weaknesses or things that are not so great, you know, but then you've already have a mindset of positivity. This is all science. But again, of course, science is also all comes from Hasidus, if you ask me, so, you know. So how does it work? A thought comes into our mind. And the minute a thought comes into our mind, it actually creates a feeling in us. So let's say I told you a, a good piece of news that one of those girls, one of your best friends, you know, in school that actually just got engaged. And without even blinking an eye, you're going to, I'm going to see a smile break out on your face. You're going to feel it's a an joy, reaction. an automatic reaction. People will sometimes say, you can't make another person feel. It's not true. You 100% could make another person feel. Like, like that, if I told you that, you'll have an automatic reaction. The difference is we have the power and the control whether we stay with that thought or we say, I'm not going to let that thought guide my day and, you know, and we switch it out for a different thought. But the, the same thing, if someone gave you something, a bad piece of news, it, so wait, so when you hear good news, when you hear something, you process it, it creates your feelings and your feelings create your actions because if you're happy, Everything you do that day is going to go in a positive way, and then you're going to see your results are going to be amazing. And if it's, God forbid, the other way, and someone pulled you down by telling you something very not good, very negative. you're going to feel yourself sluggish. You're going to feel like all the things you had to get done today, you just don't get done. And then you're, you'll see. So you're saying dating is a frame of mind. It has, a, it has a lot to do with that. That's where I say, when you go into a thinking, look for the positive and the good in the other person first. So by the time you get to stage three and you're going to share some of the things, your weaknesses, you already have a good feeling for the person. So anything you tell me now about that guy, it's not going to be so big deal. Right. softens the blow. What, what, what I think people are afraid of or I think our singles are apprehensive about is, first of all, it's no secret that there are many people that are not so successful in their marriages. Unfortunately, that's just a reality that we have to face in the firm world as well. So there's this approach where you automatically look out for the red flags. I feel like dating just became this whole thing like, what are the red flags? I want to make sure that that doesn't happen to me. There's a book here. I think I might have returned it to my neighbor. She gave it to me. And it was called Hashtag, hashtag Shidduch Crisis. And it was based on a blog where people shared their dating stories and they were all negative. And reading that book, you know, you could just see the the stories, the scenarios play out. The writing, for the, the writing on themselves. I knew that it was a red flag, but I had pressure and I was alone and I was lonely and I tried to overlook it. So we certainly have to teach our children how to be careful and to see those things. But... At the end of the day, and I know this firsthand, the things that people say are red flags are not, or deal breakers rather, are not always deal breakers for you because everything about my husband should have been a deal breaker. And every single thing or every single reason that people told me not to marry him turned out not to be true. So can we talk a little bit 
about the difference between red flags and deal breakers. I love everything you just said because it totally supports what I started out with. Listen, I'm here to help. (laughs) Exactly. Here's why I say first just look for the good in the other person. I will never allow a person who brings up a red flag to say nothing, no big deal, stick it under the carpet. We will always address it. At the same time, I always tell the young men and women, when a red flag comes up, it doesn't mean drop it. It means let's see, what is this red flag about? Exactly what you just said. Is it really a deal breaker? Or is it, let's look at it and realize, We make I make them understand and realize from themselves, the answer will come from in them like, oh yeah, that's not such a big deal. Okay. That's something I could live with. Exactly. You know what I say? That when you're dating, it is not a time to sacrifice. Not at all. This is not the time. Through life, once you're married, in life, there might Compromise, come... Compromise, you mean? I mean sacrifice. Hold on. I'm going to come to that. It, dating is not a time to sacrifice. I'm a person, I don't have a selfish bone in my body, but I almost say in the beginning of the dating, you have to be a little selfish. You don't sacrifice. This is something that would, like you called it a deal breaker, that's really, really, really important to you. Don't think you have to sacrifice on it. So there's that, and then there's compromise. Compromise, yes. There are certain things you're going to see. You're going to say, okay, I really wanted a guy who had X, Y, and Z. Okay, so he's not so good at that, but let me look at his mindless are beautiful. So I'm ready. No big deal. I can compromise on that, but never sacrifice. Sacrifice not. Compromise, yes, there will be things. Like in your mind, we all have a picture or a thing. But what happens is when young men and women jump first to find the bad in the person and to find the red flags and they get over-exaggerated, they become blown up in their faces, they can't even see any good. Right. Line yourself up first to feel good, to feel some connection to the person. Then when some of the things come up, you know, uh, you'll be able to look at it much differently. Right. Well, you're not saying to wear rose-colored glasses, but you're saying to maybe take off your glasses. <laughs> I'm 100% not saying it because I will never allow, I'll say every single red flag that comes in when people push it under the carpet, I get very upset. I had a, I've had a few things. And just recently I had a girl who says, oh, the guy already proposed to me and everything. But, and she brings up this whole thing that she was feeling uncomfortable and worried to say something to him I'm not going to give all the details because it's just a new thing. And I'm like, one minute. She now thought is the it, time. <laughs> yeah. She thought that was a little red flag. To me, it was a lot larger. I said, you're not going to go into a relationship where you're going to be afraid to say what's on your mind or what you think or always say what you think is not good enough. So we talked it through and I told her, um, communication is the most important thing. You must communicate. The girls and the boys have to communicate first with their parents so the parents understand wholly and completely what it is that they want. Mm-hmm. Then they need to totally and completely communicate with the young man or woman that they're dating. And again, this was coming to you ready, he already proposed and she already said yes, but they didn't, they, it was going to take a little while till they actually get engaged. So this was just for them. But I said, you better go and talk to him. Have this conversation completely. And I was very nervous because I wanted her to understand it's not a little thing. What you're saying to me, what I'm hearing, and I repeat it back, just a minute, tell me if if I'm getting it right, you know? Mm -hmm. And she said yes and everything. And I'm like, okay, so you really need to speak to him. Well, that's why it's such a beautiful thing that we live in a community where there are 
I don't want to say use the word grown-ups, but individuals, caring individuals that are involved in the dating process because it could be hard and it could be confusing. Exactly. And, I, yeah. and, and the funny thing is, listen, I have seven children. One of them used a dating coach. How come? Times have changed. And it's just an, um, it's, it's just an extra thing that could really help the young girls and boys. It really, and even older, you know, it could really help them when something comes up to work through it and get more clarity on, is this really something I need to be concerned about? Because it goes equally. As much as that they make a big deal out of something small, they sometimes make a small thing out of something that's bigger and they have to understand it's not a little thing. You better figure it out now before you go further. Right. But there are certain things that are expected to be part of the transition into marriage. I pulled this out. It's called Dear Daughter by Rabbi Eliyahu Goldschmidt. And he has such a nice analogy. I wonder if you ever heard it. He writes that his uncle used to say that marriage is like a pair of shoes. So you buy a new pair of shoes and they're shiny and gorgeous, but then you put them on and they pinch a little bit. I mean, that's just reality, right? And then you break them in and they're so comfortable you can't imagine ever having lived without this pair. But he, dis- but he does say, what if you bought the shoes at a clearance sale because they were the, <laughs> the last pair and then they have a pinch, maybe you're not going to be so confident now. You're going to think maybe about the wrong pair. Maybe it wasn't a good choice. So you stretch them and you twist them and you you, uh, you you try to make them fit. And in the process, you actually can ruin the shoes. So he goes on to say that you can take those shoes to a professional to have them stretched properly. And with the help of that person, the shoes could fit perfectly. So uh, I know it's it's a stretch of an analogy, but he says that The same is for marriage. If a person is confident that his spouse is the perfect match for him, he will find the patience and perseverance to go through the adjustment period with grace and humor. And then he will discover the incredible comfort that these shoes will bring him. So I think people, singles, um, definitely can relate to the analogy of getting a pair of shoes from the clearance rack because you're so desperate and you need the shoes right now or, you know, and then you think, should I bought them? Should I not have bought them? You know, maybe it was a bad choice. So speak on that a little bit about the fear that maybe that people have that if he's not the one, maybe there's no one else out there. So number one, I love that analogy. I think it's beautiful and it's so true because even if on paper or even in person, things seem to be so perfect and you grow up in the same type of a you know, household and whatever, there's no the same. I'm going to share with you something that I just recently came across that my mom was telling over to one of my nieces or nephews at a Sheva Brachas, and she quoted it from my father. And she said, you know, in the Shemona Esri, at the end of Shemona Esri, you take three steps back, and then you bend to the left, and you bend to the right. She goes, marriage is like that. Sometimes you have to step back a little bit, and sometimes you need to bend this way a little bit, or you need to bend that way a little bit. And, you know, you don't have to always be so harsh and so strict, but you bend a little bit because you are two different people. And that's the way you understand each other and you could work things out. And, of course, you went on to wish them, you know, there's no such a thing as a perfect, well, there's no such thing as perfect and marriage is an Aveda entire life. And my mom was already, can I know her well in, in her age, when she's saying this, I always say that marriage is a, an, an Aveda, a, a, a lifelong um, work in process, in progress, and but it's a labor of love. And, and I tell this all to all of them. Every single day we need to work on our marriage, whether we're just married, whether we're married, I'm married 44 years. Every single day of our lives we work on it. And she continued to give the blessing. I hope that you won't have to bend too much. You'll see things clearly. But if you do, it's okay. 
No, you could step back a little bit and, and, and come from that place and be ready to move a little this way, that way, because in the end, you're going to gain from it. And I also heard on a podcast one time I was listening to, and I loved it, a rabbi was saying how the word ahava, the showish of the word is hav, which is Aramaic for to give. Marriage is about give and give. You know, most of us think marriage is give and take. He says it's give and give because every it's single... It's 50-50, it's 100-100. He says every single day you wake up in the morning and you have to think, what can I do for my spouse today? And, and, cause, and then, of course, automatically when you give and you give, of course, it's like kamayim hapanim alapanim, you're going to receive. Another one that I also would love to share with the, with the young men and women is the word nasan, nun taf nun. Either you read it from right to left or you read it from left to right, English, Hebrew, it's the same because that's exactly it. When you give, you're going to get. So you don't think, oh, well, I did this and this today. Now you need to do that. It's not even Stephen. It's not like, you know, it's like you concentrate. If each one of us would concentrate on giving and what could I do to make my husband or my wife stay better today, automatically it will wake up in the other one to give back to us. So it's a win-win situation. Right. But I want to go back to the shoe analogy for one second because I find it hysterical, actually. So essentially, dating is trying on shoes until you find one that fits. So if it pinches, that's okay. Obviously, if it's a size too small, you will not be able to navigate your life in those in those shoes. That said, I, I think people are under the expectation that their match is going to be a mirror image of themselves. They're going to find somebody, a guy version of themselves or somebody that looks exactly like the husband they have been dreaming about. There's, and that is so not true. And that I'm not saying that there's not, there, there aren't couples who say, wow, they're two peas in a pod. Well, they are, I mean, obviously they are meant to be together, but I find more and more, and perhaps this is the reason that so many Unfortunately, singles never manage to get married. I find more and more that um, opening up your mind to anticipate a date or a shidduch or a match or a husband that is completely different than anything you would have ever expected is very much um, the answer. Now, I, I just want to, before you even get into it, I see you're, you're, you're agreeing with me. And I, I don't know if my audience knows this, but I actually sat with your brother, Shia, many, many years ago before I was married and he told me your family's not excited about your shidduch there is nothing about him that makes sense on paper he's sfardi uh, he was divorced he has a child he smokes too much uh, i mean this whole th- he's not going to support your career it's not going to work and and he told my husband the same thing like i don't i just you know you, it's just not going to work but ultimately what we discovered is that the values that we had were the same and that is exactly what has kept us happily married all these years. And all the issues that people said were going to be a problem are no longer a problem and, and, and have never been a problem, ironically. So a lot of, like I, we're talking about red flags and deal breakers, a lot of those things are a figment of our imagination, literally, because marriage could be extremely successful between two people who have nothing in common except values and, you know, the, the, the things that make or break uh, um, a, a relationship, a, a pa- parentship that you do together, and so on. I totally love everything you just said. 
you know, and growing up, we used to hear sometimes, oh, two alike is a perfect, opposites attract, we heard all these different things. And then we came to this generation, we're all in the seminaries, they're telling the girls, make a list, make a list of the 10 things from the number 10 being the most important for you that you want, and et cetera, et cetera. And I say to the girls, okay, that's good. You know, that's nice. That's really just to give to, for you should sell. And I give them a lot of questions to ask themselves before they make that list. It's for you to sit down and think, hmm, what is it I think I want? You know, and that they could share with their parents because they're going to be the ones most of the time going out to trying to help them find somebody. And then I say to them, now put that list on the side. Be prepared. Something might come completely from left field looking nothing like what you thought you were wanted and what you always dreamed about, and be open to it. You might actually love every single thing it's about. So know that, yeah, okay, a list is somewhere we start, but it's so insignificant. Be prepared to take it and completely throw it away. I say in general, if you get to two or three things on the top of your list, jump up and down, think, sing the song, thank you, Hashem, and get on with it, right. you know? But and, even and more so. our community so. is so accommodating now. It's not like it used to be. Right. I mean, you can, if you marry a Jew and, and you're happily mar- ever after, people are, are thrilled for you. Okay, I will tell Less you. There's judgment. A, there's a letter in um, one of the books, I just forgot the name of the book, where a, a woman is asking the rabbi if this man that she's dating, this young man that she's dating, does the rabbi feel that it could be, does it have potential to be a marriage? And she says his goals in life are not exactly the same as her goals in life. And does the rabbi think this is, you know, this could go somewhere? And the rabbi answers her, if you are prepared to help him reach his goals and completely and totally respect that and he is prepared to help you reach your goals and you total and he totally respects and you know trusts the things that you that you want then yes it can work out meaning you don't have to be exactly on the same page you do have to be in the same book right that's where you said your values or ultimately what you want to bring. Now, sometimes it could be to the extreme of that, and sometimes it could be in the middle of that, or sometimes it could be the sometimes opposite. Sometimes you get lucky. I tell my husband, exactly. I wish we were better roommates. I wish we went to sleep at the same time. I wish we weren't day and night on so many things. You know, he, he likes to collect things. I throw things out. We, we have those things that on paper are like a, a disaster for a relationship. But first of all, the love is there. Second of all, the the um, mutual goals as parents and as Jews are there. And I personally think it makes life a little more exciting and so I'm fun. Gonna, yeah, exactly. I'm going to tell you what I share. I often ask the young men and the young women I'm dealing with, what do they think is a foundation for a good marriage? What must be present in order for this marriage to work? Okay, I said, of course, we know, you know, and that. But tell me, in, in practical things, what is the foundation of a good marriage? And we come, and it's wonderful. I love it when some of them come straight out with like what I wanted to hear, like mm-hmm. what I really feel. And I'm going to say it in three things. And of course, each one of those things we can go into in detail more. So we come down to this respect, trust, and feelings, love, okay? You have to be able to completely and totally respect one another. Each of you have to have a complete and total respect for each other. You don't have to agree on everything. You can agree to disagree. You could respectfully say, here's how I feel about this. And the spouse could say, I have a different feeling. Here's how I feel. Okay, let's respect that. And let's see how could we come 
how what, to a middle way what we'll both feel comfortable let's say it's about bringing up children or something that ha- will affect each of you that you can't just do it different things you know so you'll come to an understanding but that can only happen if you completely and totally you know don't become a sugar with it and you respect each other or you don't say oh that's so stupid you say oh let's talk about it okay i respect what you're saying let's agree, let's you know agree to disagree let's just say complete and total respect and the trust if you really trust this person you know you can feel safe exactly you can feel safe you know what they bring to the table and you know what it's and then the love because a marriage on love itself ain't going to make it right you must have the other two and like i say we could go into respect we go into many other things we go into trust we go into many other things but to bring it into three things and this is what i share with them and they it gives them i would just see them their minds recalculating yes yeah. and it makes a whole whole difference also I, what people don't maybe understand and i could say this as being married so many years that your husband is not who he's going to be yet and I don't know if we, and, and maybe about the wife too, it depends on, on the dynamics, but you are dating, no matter how old you are, um, the other half of your soul, if that's your bashert, right? So the purpose of marriage is to cultivate a relationship and bring out the best in each other. So when you have respect and trust and love, the person you're dating who maybe said something a little off color or maybe did something that in your book was eh, iffy, you are going to marry them and together you're going to grow and change and um, inspire one another to be better people in a healthy, good marriage. In other words, the person you're dating, I always say the things that bring you together are not what keep you together. So the person you are dating is the pre, it's like the pre-version of your husband. You're, you're not quite there yet. You have to have uh, 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 what's the word when you put on um, a vision uh, yeah well a vision yeah you have to have a vision for what could potentially be and right. not just what's presented right exactly. now right here on this stage and then I sometimes say to, to the young men and women what is it now in front of you and you know together you're going to grow it's going to be different you know so you don't like the job he's doing right now <laughs> that could change a million times I love it when they say oh uh, only if he's going to live in California or only if she's going to live and then Two years down the road, they both decide to pick up and move to Florida or somewhere else. So mm-hmm. those things are like you understand they're they're not the icker, they're the tough elk. Well, completely. some girls will say, "I don't want to leave my mother no matter what," and you have to know that person. If yeah, you know but that, that might be... change too. Okay, you know those things can those easily are up for change. discussion, right? Right. But what I wanted to say is when you said about let's say the younger men and women versus the older ones that have been dating for a long time is the younger ones are much more. They don't know what they should worry about and be afraid about and everything. So they just like, you know, that's, you know, like, uh, what do you say that the person who's night like a certain little bit of naive, which is good. It works mm-hmm. for them in a positive way. Right. The old ones have to try and stop being so stuck in what they think happened with the other guys or whatever. Let it go. Open yourself up to just look at the good in the other person. It's going to put you on the right track and it's going to help you allow yourself to even like, Instead of putting up your dukes, like putting up like right away, um, assuming or looking at the one thing that's negative about him, they don't even get to know the guy. And there's so many great guys and girls because everywhere you go, someone's like, I have a great guy. I have a great girl. All these guys are dating. And the person on the date, it's their perception that's allowing them to believe that this person is defected and not marriable. Right. Or the way they're approaching it. If you approach it with a more of a positive way, 
it's much better chance to get to, to at least to base two. You know what I mean? You're going on first base and you never get to second base because they right away bring up the negatives and forget it, it's over. Right. No, relax. Look for the positive. But making Shaduchim are so hard. I'll give you an example. I reached out to a cousin of mine. He's living here in Israel. He's an older bacher. I, I had an idea for a Shaduch for him and she's a great girl and I was ready to vouch for her and he was just like, you know, Ishi Lubavitch. I said, she she kind of she grew up loving Labavitch. Now I know I worked with her. She's a she was a musician in a performance I did. That she's such a mystic girl, and she her head is on so straight, and she has her values are so terrific that I think, despite the fact that she didn't grow up in a Chabad home like this boy, I still think it would be worthwhile to persevere, to to pursue, and. He just didn't, he just, and I'm like, I'm, I can't, you know, you can't force someone to think what they don't want to think. So what, what, let's shift gears a drop. When it comes to making shidduchim, which is so, so important, people are hesitant because they always end up in the same situation or often end up in this situation where one person says, well, that's not really what I wanted. And you're like, okay, well, how much time should I spend convincing them? I don't want to be responsible for their bad date or their bad marriage, chas v'shalom. So do you think that this is, territory specifically for Shadchanim who understand more about human nature and have more experience or do you think that we should just keep trying because we never know does that make you know what I mean a hundred percent the latter we should just keep trying because we never know oh great because (laughs) yes because honestly I don't I don't I don't like to say negative about anybody push someone else down whatever my vision of what a true Shadchan should be is someone who really gets to know on a certain level, of course, not everything about the young man and the young woman, not just putting together a skirt and pants and a girl or a boy. And I'm just seeing too much of that, you know. I'll be honest with you, you know, I get emotionally involved. That's the truth when I do a shidduch. And I physically feel so bad when it doesn't work out, you know. And and sometimes it pulls me down. I say, Rachel, get back up. And just keep on doing it. The only thing we could do is try. You know a little bit about the person. or You, you know, at the beginning, I used to only do a shidduch if one of them was related to me or I really knew one. And I even and you're now, related to everyone. Well, thank God <laughs> a lot. For people listening, that's like half you know, of the juice. No, I'm saying, and, and if not, I really try to get to know one of them first before I'm just putting names. But 100% better to try, you know, because... Stranger things have happened, you know, as long as you can get the young man and the young woman to go with that positivity, you know, if the Rebbe is telling it to us, there's a reason for it. I see it playing back to me so many times, you know, and I have to remind the girl or the boy, look for the good in her. Tell me, why did you see good this date? What do you like about her? And they start to talk about it and they realize, hey, one minute. That's a good thing. That's really important. Oh, well, I don't like exactly his look or how he dresses. So big deal. That could change in a minute, you know? So let's see what's more important. Tell me the, the, what you see, his value. Tell me what kind of guy is he? What kind of girl is she? Is she, is she warm? Is she friendly? Is she, you know? Is she... You were set up for a reason. There's something valuable right. in that person. And like you say, sometimes it could be opposites that will attract to each other. Sometimes it could be, you know, if something there that someone felt Definitely keep on trying. As much as it sometimes feels hard and we and when it doesn't work out, we feel yikes. But the part where you say about being responsible, you know, once they start to date, they're mature enough and old enough to be dating. Hopefully they're mature and old enough to see. And especially if they take advantage of speaking to a coach or helping someone guide them, you know. It's on them at some point. Yes. 
It is. We could try only so much and we're not doing the, we're not going on the dates and we're not continuing the relationship. Like you said, to always try to be positive and to work on the relationship and give a little, you know, not always jump. And if you respect each other and trust each other, it's easier to do that. Okay. You know, you could sometimes be upset because you think that I really, this is really important to me or something. Talk about it and see how you could come to some kind of, you know, middle way or whatever it is or this time fine you do it that way let's see how it turns out but meaning I'll support it and if not then we're going to do my way you know and these are things communication there's not I don't know if there's anything more important than that and right. that will bring to the to the total respect total trust and the and the love for one another can we do away with the myth that single Jewish women are overqualified for single Jewish men? <laughs> I mean, do you see that? And, and I'll give you, the, and I'll tell you why I'm asking this. So I wrote a song for the Shidduch Initiative, and it was a very slow process. I went back and forth with the Bloomings over and over. We agonized over every single lyric so that it shouldn't be, um, God forbid, offensive, and that it should portray the single person's anguish without being... Um, you know, condescending. But there were people that were insulted. I mean, someone actually did a parody of my song where she used a real uh, a filter that looks like she's crying and she was like playing the music and basically suggesting that the song makes her into a nebach because the song describes how hard it is and how the Shabbat, you know, the Shabbos meals that you're single are, are difficult and the loneliness. And she felt like I was painting this picture that singles are lonely and miserable and half until they're married and they're incomplete. And the purpose of the song was to remind people how difficult it is to be single. My sister was single till she was 38. I know how difficult, how difficult it is to be single. It's not a secret. On the other hand, nobody wants to feel like a nebuch, and the single girls are busy. They're learning, and they're studying, and they're growing, and they're you know, involved in all kinds of things, and they, they don't consider themselves less than because they're not married. Um, but sometimes that feel, I feel like they come onto the dating scene almost with like a chip on their shoulder. Like, I, I, like why do I have to solicit myself to get married? You know, I'm so incredible. This should be easy for me. So what... What are they doing? Are they doing something wrong? Are, are they missing something? Is there an issue? Is there a divide between the girls and boys? So there's a few things here, okay? Uh, my mind was racing, and I hope I remember everything that was okay. going through my head. I'm going to try it's to It's just share. so important, I think, because yes. there are so yes. many Yes, so there's singles. a few things here. First of all, it's not just in the from world that you want to go on and get married and create a family and a continuity of who you are That's and true. everything. Human it's nature. across the board. So it's not just because you, I listen to other, um, you know, dating coaches and stuff. Because I know I could learn from everybody. You could take a little piece from here, from here. It's across the board. So that's one thing that's a myth also that people think only in the firm world. It's not true that they want to get married. Regular singles out there also want to, okay? The second thing is... Nothing to be ashamed about. No, right. It's something, it's a process. And the second thing is... This is what I've heard recently, that girls were made to feel like they sort of can't stand on their own two feet. They're not worthy unless they're married. So that's what we have to get rid of. They're strong. They're worthy. They have a lot to bring to the table. They it's are irrelevant. Human. It's irrelevant. It's that. And they want to mate the right person and make, get married, please God, and have a family. Okay? It's not a steerer one to the other. It's it's a it's another thing. It's an and, not a but. Mm -hmm. And and and. 
Okay, so we don't erase that. That's so important. And then I'll say something which I found lately, and I've been sharing this with some of the young men and women, is, you know, across the board and for many, many years, this is usually boys go in with their minds into dating. They thinkers, you know, sometimes overthinkers, and they go in with their minds. And then like I heard once uh, two rabbis on a, on a podcast to, Bach, to Bachram say, at some point, get out of your head and get into your heart. Years ago, like in my years, girls went in more with their heart. Oh, we were so excited. We get to go out. We're going to get married. We're going to have a, a chassin. We're going to have a, be a mother. Well, we're going to be a- four times. My mother went out for a week. So okay. it, it felt pretty simple. <laughs> okay. So what I'm saying is now... Girls go in exactly like the boys go in. They go in also with their minds first. And sometimes they have to be reminded to get out of their heads and to go into their hearts. Are you saying be a little romantic? Yes. (laughs) Allow yourself to feel from day one. Mm -hmm. So now, this is what I say to them now. It's okay that you go in with your head, right? Because it's not just you're not just the romantic. Whatever the guy says is wonderful. You have what to say. You have what. Not that we didn't. Trust me, we had a lot to say. We had a lot to share. But the romantic part was like took the first place. Go in with your mind. Make sure that that's all good. But for the girl, immediately from step one, open up your heart. Allow something to go in. Don't block it. Don't be your own. Worst enemy. <laughs> exactly. Allow from day one. It's great. I'm happy you're going in with your mind. You want to make sure it makes sense. You want to make sure things, you know, are there that you want and you need. And open up, but allow immediately from day one, allow yourself to feel. And be vulnerable. That's what's special. And be. it takes being vulnerable. It's not easy. Right. But I say a little bit at a time. Okay, a little bit at a time until you, you know, you feel the safe and you feel the respect and the trust and you feel the feelings, the the magnetic pulling together, the chemistry, whatever it may be. And I think if they approach it like that, they have a better chance of maybe even getting to know the person. Another thing that I'm very strong with, you know, in the first stage of dating and even in the second stage, you don't need to know at the beginning whether you want to marry this guy. Forget about that. It's so unimportant. Go in there and just see, learn who this guy is and see, do I want to get to know him better? I don't need to know now if I want to marry you. I need to know what kind of person you are. What do you bring to the table? What are your goals for your life? What are your media goals now? What do you see if I told five years from now, where would you like to be? If I said to you, hey, today's your lucky day, you get a genie, paint your picture of what what your life looks like down the road or whatever, that's the kind of thing that I want them to go in with. You understand? Yeah, it's a process. Okay, there's two. There's three more things I want to touch on. First of all, how I remember sitting with your, your brother, and he drew me a circle, and he put me and my husband in the circle, and then he drew me circles that were uh, overlapping that circle. And he said, here's your family, and here's your community, and here are your friends, and here are your in-laws. And at that time, I was like, I don't need any of those. I'm in love with my husband. It's me and my husband against the world. And he was like, well, not really, because in the beginning, you're in that bubble. But when that fades away, that initial excitement, the other overlapping circles play a very big role in your relationship. So when it comes to researching Shaduchim, a lot of times people will say, no, well, they have a dysfunctional family. Or, well, you know, um, you know I heard this about a, a, a sibling. Their siblings are not from. How... 
crucial is it to examine all the components of the relationship? And also keeping in mind now, just because it's current events, we have Harry and Meghan basically telling the whole world, well, we don't need Harry's family. We don't need them. We're, we're fine. We're going to be okay. And I'm thinking, well, no, you're not. Because the first time you have an explosive fight and Harry thinks to himself, why did you take me away from your family? And where's my butler? Things are not going to be so rosy. So the question is, how important is it to do all that research before Shaduchim. Like, I know that when I spoke to my mother-in-law for the first time, I turned to my husband and said, fine, I will marry you. <laughs> Until today, I tell my husband, if not for your mother, I would have wow. left you a long time ago. I wow. adore her. I adore her. And she is one of the things, the most, the, uh, the biggest gift in my life. So you might go out with a guy and he, you know, maybe it's not all butterflies and roses right away, but he does come from a great family and he has a lot of components in his life, the community, all the things, the other circles that are great. So should a person put a lot of emphasis, you know, weight on those things? You understand both sides of the question? I think I understand you. Yes. And honestly, I don't think you could draw a straight line for that. What I will say is from one hand, I've heard many stories retold and the Rebbe stories about like where they said, oh, I remember one person, this was many, many, many years ago, and he was going out with this girl, and this was someone who had mysterious nefesh to keep his beard in Russia, and he finds out that the girl's father trimmed his beard or cut his beard, and he came to the Rebbe, he said like, Rebbe, what, like, look, I had mysterious nefesh to keep my beard, and her father doesn't have a this beard. Like, maybe, <laughs> yeah, th- like maybe this is wrong. It, and the Rebbe told her, him, like, don't look at that. You know, like, just look at the girl. She's Erlich and she's whatever, you know, and so on and so forth. Is family important? You can't say it's not. Because sometimes I say, you know, they will say something, oh, the father is a harsh person. Well, your grandchildren are going to be having many of the genes of whatever. So on a certain level, family is important. And, you know, if you could, if you could, but should it start and end with that? Absolutely not. Because nowadays, I remember one one woman recently was telling me something about she was, she was came to me about a shidduch for one of a daughter, but she had a child above that's not religious. I said, why do you have to talk about that? Why is Just it Just talk about this girl. Right. Exactly. Everyone has, we all have peklach to deal with. And today it's become, sure, if you could get both, if you could get the wonderful family, and anyways, what do we know beforehand? You know, like I could tell you right now, when if you research one day or a year on a person, whatever you're not supposed to know, you will not find out. And Bar Hashem, I have seven in-laws, you know, Kunahara, and I'm so grateful and thankful how Hashem, I think he's, why, like, God, you're so cool, how you brought them together, and I mm-hmm. love each and every single one of them. I can tell you right now that afterwards I found out things that it's a good I didn't know before or whatever, but right. I still would never change it. I right. still would take them in a minute, in a heartbeat. And also, we don't know what's going to develop after marriage. Exactly. There's a lot of things. So you can't say you don't, it's so important, but like sometimes people will get like, um, if someone is divorced or something and they, they oh, don't go, don't go out with them because they're divorced. Or like, oh, make the shidduch, this girl, because her parents are divorced and his parents are divorced, so it's a good shidduch. I'm like, what? And my, me personally, I would... Rather, way rather, 
match up the, the, the young man or woman that is from a divorced family with someone who has a family. Let them exactly. at least have one side a solid family that they could go so to. So it really depends on every personal case because totally, you might come from a really great family and be able to handle not having in-laws in the picture or you might come from a dysfunctional family and say, you know what, for me, in-laws are really a deal breaker. Exactly. So it's not... It's really individual. It should not be clear, you know, blank. There's times that you have to look away at family because the young man or the young woman is so special on themselves and they could be and they could be and it could be a wonderful marriage you know and also and then some things in the family that you thought was so terrible they'll also get over at the family and you'll all and later on in life you'll you'll have a wonderful life together so you cannot say it across the board and a single person can't look at their friend and say well they got this this and this and that makes sense for them and they're happy and that's what's going to look like for me just look for you again the I think the key note here is always start out looking for the good in the young man or find even good things within the family. Because even if there's, we all have both sides, you know, so look for the good. Look for the good. Yeah. That's well, it. And try to focus on that first. You'll see it'll make an entire difference of how it continues on. Well, look for the good is a message for anyone at any point in their life, in any relationship, even with their children, even with their parents, and exactly. all of your relationships. And we're learning that more and more and more, right? Stop focusing on the negative right. or what they don't do. See, catch them, we say to, to educators, to parents, to people, catch the kid doing something right. Talk about what's great about this young man or this woman, young woman. Tell me what's so special about them. Right. You know? And right. one more thing I'm going to say about older uh, men and women that are dating and whatever, and sometimes they will say something like, why should I even go out with this girl? What's different than the other 29 girls that I went out with? You have to take on the attitude is, you know, somebody once asked the Rebbe, what is the, mo- the Rebbe's What is the most important tefillah? What was the Rebbe's, what tefillah, which prayer did the Rebbe love most? What was most important to him? You know what she said? Moda ani lefanecha. When we wake up in the morning and we say Moda ani lefanecha and it ends with Rabba emunasecha, I for a long time didn't really know what that means. Rabba emunasecha, God, we're saying God, Rabba, much is your emuna in us. It's not that we believe in God, God believes in us. So you have to wake up and say, today's a brand new day. The sun is shining. It's fresh. It's new opportunities. Today's a brand new day. And maybe today, just today, this just might be the right one. What if today this person who came to you, you know, what if it doesn't work out? What if it does? What if this is the right one? You have to stay optimistic. (laughs) Exactly. And I know it's difficult, but I'm saying if we help these young men and women and say, look, today's a brand new day. Anything could happen in the world today. And what if this is the one? What if it isn't? Yeah, that's true. But what if it is? Right. And age has nothing to do with it. My sister, like I said, is happily married and two peas in a pod. And yeah, we're very... And again, is it more than it was years ago? Or is it just so many more people? So it looks so much more. I think it's a combination of both. And yet what we need to do is continuously encourage the young men and women that are older to open up their hearts and their minds and leave room to look for the good things in the other person and stop right away jumping to a conclusion or saying, oh, this is not good. She doesn't have blue eyes. Forget it. It's over. You know, let's let's be able to separate what's really important in life from that which is not right right what what ultimately is the message that you want to give both to a single person listening 
what they could take away besides the fact that they can obviously reach out to you and work with you. And I would highly recommend that because clearly you're very passionate and you have a lot of experience. And I think when it comes to finding Shaduchim, we should do whatever we can. It's not easy. It's like the splitting of the sea. And a lot of people, um, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears (laughs) goes into making some matches. And that's okay. There's nothing to be ashamed about. A person should keep pursuing uh, their, their bashert no matter what. And if it means hiring someone to work with you, by all means. I don't think that this was available so many years ago. And how lucky are we that as our community grows, there are more and more incredible people willing to help. And exactly. I think they do help. Yeah. Exactly. So, so what is the message to the singles and what is the message to parents listening who are just like, I, I just can't anymore. Okay. So so what I will tell you is, you know, at the beginning of people looking out to coaching is like, oh, there must be something wrong with that girl or that boy if they need a coach. Absolutely not. It's you're giving your child like a, something amazing, like a precious gift. Just someone who's there to understand them. That's not no gay abadavar. That could really see. It's like I always, I give the comparison. It's like if, you know, you're standing on the ground floor and there's a two-story house, but I'm standing on the top of the roof of the two. So I could see what's going on on the other side. You can't. Mm-hmm. So it's just someone who could see and give a clear answer without getting emotionally involved into it. And you give your child a gift. Baruch Hashem, I'm experiencing now that I'm getting, you know, the real Hasidish young men who maybe there was like, oh my God, they don't, they wouldn't. And they they're coming. Us, right? I can't believe it. Right. And I, every time I'm go, I give, I say to them, Kala Kavod, that you, good for you. And they realize You're investing in yourself. Yeah, exactly. It's the best investment you could do for your child. It just means you're giving them every tool to help them that it should work out as quickly and as soon as possible. And, um, uh, two other things that I want to say. Number one, rejection is protection. If your son or your daughter is going out and it doesn't work out and one really thought it was going to be great, it was even to the young men and women, know that Hashem is protecting you. Right now it looks terrible and you're all brokenhearted. Rejection is protection. Down the road, Hashem is protecting you from something or some this person. And if you stop and you say that to yourself, rejection is protection, and you have to first stay with that, you know, if you're feeling down and because, you know. Allow yourself you, to experience allow the Allow yourself yeah. to stay with it and then move forward and realize rejection is protection. Hashem was looking out for you. You're going to see it soon and you'll realize like, wow, I didn't see it right at the beginning. This goes to the young girls and boys. This goes to the parents. And the other thing I want to say is when in doubt, go out. If they went out once or twice or even three or four times, then they're like, oh, I don't know. You know, the Rebbe says, don't be miserly in the amount of times you go out. You know that? Take as much time as you need. Every person is different. You can't say second date, five dates. And by the way, the stages of dating I actually got from my brother. He wrote a little book and I love it. It's so powerful and it's so, we didn't get into the different stages. I'll just say it's called, um, we call it ADD, attraction, direction. And the third one is, I say, disclosure slash decision. Each one carries important. We're not going to go into it right now. But when I show it to the young girls and boys, the young men and women, I explain them it. It's eye-opening. It's just like like first stage. I'm just going to give an example. Don't get personal right at the beginning. Just talk in general. Just see if you could both hang out in the same Daladamos together. Don't even 
say anything yeah, about yourself. Yeah, and we yourself. live in a generation and, where people overshare. It's just exactly. Like, so yeah. don't talk of something like if you, you know, it's like one of the Abacher said to me, you mean if I meet someone on the train or on an airplane and I would talk to them? Right. What would you say to them? That's a kind of first stage. And first stage could be for some young men and women one date and for others two or three dates. Everyone, it's you. Don't say what happened even with the last guy you went out with. Or don't say what happened with your sister or your brother. By the third date, forget it. Stage one, you might need just one date. Somebody else might need four dates. It doesn't matter. They're both perfect. It's what's perfect for you. There's right. no such thing as perfect. You know, that's what we say. There's no such thing as perfect, but there's someone perfect for you. Meaning your mindless will complement his maybe weaknesses or his, or you'll both have things that you both will work on or together. Or you'll fall in love with your mother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. I'm so happy to hear that. I don't yeah. know how many people would say that, but good for you that you, Rough you know, that really was the clincher. So, kalakavod. But that's the thing, you know, if we just change a little bit of our attitude, how we you know, you do, when in doubt, go out. Go out another time. You can never be sorry that you gave up another few hours, but you never want to look back and think, hmm, maybe I should have dated, tried a little well, more. Well, we know people who date and then stop and then go back That's and date correct. again, and then the circumstances correct. change, and the have, mindset change. Exactly. And many times I'll say, you know, look back. Maybe even a name came up and you said no to it. Maybe look back and look at it from a different prism, from a different set, put on a different pair of glasses. And look, and I start to tell them with the positive and like that, and all of a sudden it's a whole different picture presents itself. So I think that's a good message to all. Very important for parents to get on the same page as their children, to know what it is their child wants. You know, I'll just give you a quick example. This happened with one of my sisters, and her son was, was dating, and this boy was the boy who was already on Shlichus, you know, and she was set up with a girl, and he's and he had to come from, from travel, and the girl had to travel, and they both spent money and time and whatever, and suddenly, it was a day before the first date, and the shatran says to my sister, oh, tell your son not to talk about shlichus on the first date. She calls me up right away, and I'm like, that's a red flag. You know that. Like, okay, forget it. It was too late to change things around. They go out one time. They go out a second time. On the second date, he starts to talk, you know, and he says uh, something about his shlichus. And she says, shlichus? My mother wants shlichus. I don't want shlichus. So what just happened here? Who did they help? You know? So be honest and listen to your child. Listen, we can never, like you said, I always say, um, I even had a little thing on this. You know, you can encourage your child. You could say to them, look, this is so important. This is a beautiful thing or important. Encourage them. But we can't talk them into it. It's not our job to do that. It's their life. They're the one who gets to make the choice. And if you think they're old enough to get married, they should be old enough to do that. So listen and it might to not your, look like you think it's going to look. Right, exactly. But listen to them and at least try to set them up with that, which, you know, you could also encourage a little more of whatever it is you feel you want to bring in. But really, really, communication is, is also one of the things that I would leave the listeners with to know. It's so important to have good communication all across the board. Right. Amazing. And it helps. It could help so many problems. Well, you clearly can help so many problems. <laughs> Listen, I love it. It is my passion. I get I so that. into it. I'm so excited. I and when see I that. see in front of my eyes things that we talked about or somebody coming back to me to say, you know, what we talked about on the in the last session, I went out with this girl and it was just so clear. It was so good. I mean, thank you so much. I, I Like I saw it. Myself in front of my eyes, it just makes me so excited. I, I just want to help the And next it's not person. even so complicated. This is not, it's Correct. not even so complicated. Correct. It's pretty basic, but people seem to struggle with it. Well, people can reach out to you. Your, yeah. your well, link to your a, website's I, on my show notes, okay, so they great. can click there um, and get in touch with you. 
And um, I bless you that you should continue to make shidduchim and bring Thank people you. together and be able to enjoy nachas from your children and your grandchildren. Uh, as we're sitting here, your granddaughter has been patiently listening <laughs> and smiling on the side, which is so sweet. Um, and yeah, let's celebrate uh, more marriages, happy marriages. Amen. Diverse, Amen. diverse I, and interesting I look, ones. I look at it like, thank you, Hashem, for giving me this chos. When I'm able to, and then I get the call, they're going to the ayol, or they're getting engaged, or they're just proposed, I'm literally on a high. And it just excites me to go and help the next person, you know? And when sometimes there's a rejection or whatever, and I'm also feel with them, and I go, rejection is protection, just let's move forward, you know? And that's what we do. Right, I and love that. Rachel, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. This my, is fun. My pleasure. Well, there you have it. Episode 82 of the Weekly Squeeze. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate all your positive messages, emails, and DMs that I get regarding each and every episode. Don't forget to catch up on the back episodes if you've been on vacation lately. You don't want to miss a thing. Head to my show notes for some interesting links to find out how you can get in contact with Rachel. And I'll see you on Monday.